Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Check them out at Rollbar.com slash Changelog. Resolve your errors and minutes into deployable confidence. Catch your errors in your software before your users do. And if you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they want to give you $100 to donate to open source via Open Collective. And all you got to do is go to Rollbar.com slash Changelog, sign up, integrate Rollbar into your app. And once you do that, they'll give you $100 to donate to open source. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. We are back, everyone, for another JS party. And guess who is back? It's Suze. Suze, welcome back to the party. Thank you for having me back. I missed everyone so much. It was so weird to be away for so long. We have two new panelists that have joined the circuit and everything. So yeah, I've been under a rock. Thanks for having me back. You bet. Speaking of new panelists, Divya is back as well. Welcome, Divya. Yay. Hello. Good to have you. And it wouldn't be a party without K-Ball over there dancing to the music. What's up, K-Ball? Yeah, I probably have the most ridiculous rock out every day. And now you see it now that we do video while you're talking. So I'm just like rocking out over here. I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan. Absolutely. You have three huge fans over here. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is going to be lots of fun. Let's hop right into it. We're going to focus on something that hopefully is helpful for everyone. And, and if not, at least maybe therapeutic for us as we uh, go inside our ids and egos and, and discuss uh, some introspection about strengths and weaknesses. So uh, we all have them, both, and some things lend themselves well to software development, some things harm us, kind of tease it apart and talk about strengths and weaknesses. The idea for this actually came during an episode of Backstage I did with uh, Nick Janitakis, who is a Changelog community member, where we were just talking about development. And I happened to, just by happenstance, state one of what I think is a strength I have. And then I followed it up with a weakness kind of off the cuff. And I thought, wow, let's expand this idea and let's talk about ourselves, you know, with the panelists here, as well as people out there in the community that we admire or that we think are great developers and talk about their strengths and weaknesses, maybe give some props as well. So uh, as we like to stay positive, let's start on the plus side, which is the strengths side of the conversation. And let's talk about what we think are characteristics or traits or skill sets whatever it happens to be that makes people great at software development. And specifically, let's, let's not get too selfish. Let's start with others before we talk about ourselves and talk about the most amazing or admirable developers out there and what you think makes them great. So that's the conversation. I'll open it up to call dibs or grab. Who wants to go first here and kick off the combo? Fair enough. I guess I'll just have to, like a school teacher, I'll have to just call names. Either raise your hand or I'm going to call your name. <laughs> So, Suze, uh, you didn't raise your hand, so I'm going to call your name. Why don't you kick us off and talk about developer strengths? Sure. One thing that I really admired in other developers and tried to emulate this is somebody who's really good at compromise and pragmatism. 
I think that they're really important things to have. I think that once you build up a certain amount of technical skill and you sort of have this broad, at least like broad understanding of lots of different topics and maybe you specialize in a few, you should be able to take that knowledge, ask the right questions of people who have better knowledge than you, and then be able to arrive at a solution where knowing that there's really hardly ever a perfect solution to something. There's always trade-offs and things like that. But someone who can very swiftly make the right trade-offs, make the whole team comfortable with that decision if they're working on a team as well, but also have enough sort of technical chops to be able to explain the reasoning behind things so that everyone's on the same page. I think that that just has like a huge productivity multiplier and a a psychological safety multiplier on everybody. Um, And it's really using your skills as I guess, like as a, an experienced developer in order to really just get rid of roadblocks and, and start making something that's very good quality. Is there anybody in particular that you think embodies that or that you think of as you're talking about this generic skill of compromise that you would point to and say, here's somebody that's really good at it? I do, but I don't, they're not well known in the industry. Does that make sense? Sure. You can still shout them out if you don't think they'd be really embarrassed by it. Yeah, I don't want to put them on blast. I will, I will say first name basis. So the first job that I had in the US, I worked with a really extraordinary team. And one person in particular, whose name was Nick, was just an exceptionally talented engineer. But he would be brought into so many different conversations outside of his team every day, because he was so smart, but also just incredibly good at listening and incredibly good at being able to kind of provide any gotchas to, to think about and And also he was happy to explain certain concepts by like drawing diagrams and things like that. And you could tell that that was something that he was just really admired for at work because there was a system that we had where you could basically um, donate, like you could give someone a bonus every single month. So you could choose one person to give that to um, and they got like a certificate and you wrote the reasoning down for why they should you know, get this bonus. And then basically you would, the, the ceremony was you would print it out and bring it to their desk and give it to them. And then they would enter the code and then that would go into their paycheck. And this person, by the time I gave them one, because they'd been at the company a while, by the time I came over and gave him one, Nick would basically take the little, the corkboard. What do you call it in America? I'm like, I want to call it a thumbtack or a push pin, but I don't know what you call them. Yeah, both of those. So he took that out and He had so many of them that he couldn't get the push pin all the way through like all of them without it falling off the wall. So he had to like start another pile. And I think that that sort of shows how much everybody really valued those skills that he had. And it made me want to become that sort of person. Love it. Love it. Let's kick it over to K-Ball. What you got? Yeah, I've been thinking about this. So I want to highlight a couple skills and I'm going to highlight particular people. And these are skills that I, there are strengths that I don't have really, or that are you know, I might be okay on them, but not so it really stands out to me. Uh, so the first one that I want to highlight is there's a set of people out there that really master their tools. Like they have their editor tuned to the finest thing and they know how to do everything. So uh, a couple people that strike me as this one is our own Nick Nisi. Like if you've ever seen his Vim config, it is cray cray. I was <laughs> updating my uh, I got a new laptop and I was like, okay, I'm going to just steal his config, which I did. And I have no idea what like 90% of it does. Like there's so much in there and he knows every piece of it. He's just like a master. Um, the other is someone I worked with years ago, a uh, gentleman by the name of Brad Fultz, who also just like, he knew his tools inside and out. And it was just this incredible feel of like, this is a craftsperson. They know what they're working with and they have it tuned to the nth degree. 
So that's something I admire. It's something I'm not good at. But really, when you watch a master at work, it's incredible. The other thing that I want to highlight is the capability of really like diving deep on a problem and researching all of the ways that people have done it in the past and kind of drawing out and synthesizing the best pieces of each of those things. And there's a person I'm thinking of in particular that I worked with um, on an open source project on uh, Zurb Foundation, an engineer, friend and guy by the name of Brett Mason, who I think listens to this podcast. So Brett, props to you. He is incredible at researching a topic area, looking at, you know, 10 or 30 different ways that people have solved a problem and drawing out the best pieces of each one. And I really admired that when that happened. So those are a couple of both shout outs and strengths that I kind of wish I had, but I definitely don't. There's some really good ones. Thanks for sharing those. Absolutely. Divi, how about you? You put some thought into this. Yeah. So I think I'll, I'll speak generally and then maybe I can pull it down to like actual specific people. I think what Suzu's talking about with like communication like really resonates. And it's actually something I've been thinking about this week because I find that communication is a little underrated <laughs> in tech because I feel like people consider it a soft skill and it's not as important. But I think it's so important <laughs> because you need to be able to talk to people at their level. Talking to someone is one thing, but being able to understand process and then like speak to someone where they're at with the proper words <laughs> is a lot of work. And every time I communicate, I try to be better because I'm obviously not the best at it. And because sometimes I'll say something and I'll be like, wait, it didn't, I didn't intend for it to come across as that way. Like, ah, uh, but this person was offended. Like, what can I do in the future? I think a successful developer is also someone who's able to communicate both to like people like any other developers or just people in general and also upper management as well just like being able to talk like to different levels so like across your skill set below your skill set and above as well because i think that is a huge thing that is completely underrated like something that i definitely am like learning a lot about from liaising with developers that i admire and so on one example of a person <laughs> that i think is great is like Sarah Dresner. She's my manager now, which I think is wonderful. That's awesome, right? Yeah. <laughs> because um, she moved over from Microsoft. <laughs> oh. I forgive you. I forgive you. We got to share her around, you know. I know. She's wonderful. And she's just able to communicate on a level that I find just admirable. I basically report to her and she speaks to me on like a level where she's like, how can I get you to where you want to be? So I can have that. And I feel like honest, like I can have an honest conversation with her. And she's also able to take concerns that I have, translate them into actionable steps that she can take to like upper management if need be. And so it's really great for someone who's being managed by such a great manager, <laughs> someone who has such communication skills, because you feel like one, someone is vouching for you and two, that your concerns will always be addressed. Sometimes it's just lip service where you're like, yeah, of course, like I hear you someone who might speak to you on your level trying to make you feel heard but then you're not heard because when they're talking to someone else who is actually making decisions they'll be like oh whatever we don't care like we're gonna do this thing instead and so i think that is really key and and really cool the other thing that i think is really important is also this idea of um, sponsorship so uh, lara hogan wrote a post about mentorship versus sponsorship which is something that resonates with me a lot because 
for me, I've always tried to mentor people. And I think this is something that happens a lot with like women and, and minorities in general. They, they tend to get a lot of mentorship, but not sponsorship. So the difference is that mentorship is like, oh, let me help you like with skills, development, like I'll spend time with you one on one. But sponsorship is when you kind of elevate the person and give them opportunities, make connections. Like both are valuable, but sponsorship has this ability to take someone's career and then like rocket them much further than mentorship could ever do. And I think there's so many people in the industry who do that. I can't even name. I don't want to name names because there's so many. Sarah obviously is one of them. She's great at this. Lara Hogan is great at this. And like. There's lots of, like Sarah Suidan, who's in CSS and SVG world, does this a lot and a lot of names I can drop. And yeah, I think it, it's so valuable and something that I want to do more of because there are lots of times where I'll be like, oh yeah, I can mentor you, but mentorship is one thing and it's really important, but it's also like, how can I use my connections to help someone else? Because I've benefited from that where someone else has been like, hey, you should talk to this person. And then that has led to either an opportunity to speak at a conference, a job opportunity, like something that would help me move upwards. And so like just being able to pay that forward is huge. And it's something that I really aspire to do more of. That's awesome. I'd like to point out the, the things that we're discussing here. As I kicked it off, I talked about inherent strengths or maybe you know God-given talent or whatever that's called versus learned skills or things that you can acquire based on effort. And so far, we've talked about compromise, communication, tool mastery, deep dives into history, more communication. And it's worth pointing out, and especially in our industry, we have different forms of communication that all can be mastered, right? You have audible uh, text-based conversation communication. You have written communication, which is a completely other related but different medium skill. Um, sponsorship. These are all things that, with effort and application, everybody can be great at these things. And these are things that make great developers. And so I think it's just really cool how many aspects of what we do are things that are available to anybody with effort in terms of like, what does it take to, you know, K-Ball really admires when people do dives into history. Well, that's, I mean, anybody can do that. You just got to actually do the deep dive into the history and you have to advance your skills at reading and, and those kind of things. But I just love how approachable all these strengths are. So if they are weaknesses of yours, you can turn them into strengths by way of effort. One thing that I would like to point out, which teeter-totters a little bit into the realm of, I don't know if it's personality traits, but there are aspects of what we do where some people are naturally given to them over others, and yet you can still level up your game. And one thing that I think really makes, for me, an admirable developer which are, these are people that we talk to a lot. I mean, I'm talking to a few of them right here, but uh, on our shows is an ability to think systematically and to hold a system in your head. And the, the, the larger the systems or the system that you can hold in your head at once and comprehend and re retain the context of the system, the larger that system is to me, the more admirable and the more skilled or strong that strength is. A couple of people that come to mind, which aren't, these are just people I've met over the years. A lot of them are language designers. I can't pronounce his last name. Anders Halsberg, I can't remember his last name, but he's the inventor of TypeScript at Microsoft, as well as I think the Delphi programming language. This is a man who can hold, like he understands TypeScript all at once, which is incredibly difficult to do, right? Like these are complex things. Maths with a reprogramming language, 
people who can take the entire domain of an area and they can filter all of the questions and all the ideas and the features and the bugs through an understanding, especially when you get to application systems, it is an incredibly important skill and one where people who have that strength uh, will do very well. So speaking of this panel, let's, let's now turn a little bit inward and let's share some of our own personal strengths. Now, I don't, I know none of us want to be up here boasting and bragging, uh, but I would ask you, you know, don't be too shy uh, because we all have our own strengths and we're going to get to our weaknesses, which I think will be a fun segment for sure. But if you had to be honest and talk about yourself just a little bit, what would be your personal greatest strength or strengths or things that you really see as, as assets in your developer career that you can share with us? Selflessness, I guess, is the first one that we all have. <laughs> nobody wants to take the spotlight. Okay, I'm going to be that school teacher. I'm going to start calling on people. Let's start with K-Ball this time. Okay, let's see. So greatest strengths as developer. There are two things that come to mind. One of those is kind of in this communication domain. One of the best definitions I heard for the responsibilities of a tech lead or somebody who's really like more advanced as a developer and something that resonates strongly because it's an area that I've invested a lot in and I feel like I have a strength in is being able to translate business and product requirements and desires into technical requirements and architecture. Uh, so performing the translation step between we have this problem or we have this thing we're trying to accomplish or even just like here's the, the product or business outcome we want and say, okay, here's an architecture that we could build that would accomplish that. Here's how we can break that down into steps and actually task that out into software things that we can do. That's something that you know I've come to realize is, is actually quite hard, um, but is something that for whatever reason, I've, I've always been pretty good at. The other one that I think comes up is just, I'm stubborn. Mm, you stole mine. I know, right? Well, it, it, it's a thing because <laughs> I used to always be the, the one who, like, if there was a bug you couldn't solve, like, okay, eventually if I, I would come to me and if it took me two weeks of banging my head against it to like, I'd try this and try that and try that and go, but eventually I would get that damn bug. You know, and that has served me very well because that process also teaches you a lot. And so having this strength of stubbornness of like, I'm just going to keep going until I figure this darn thing out, then helps with many other areas of learning. 100%. All right, Divya, let's kick it back to you. Ooh, this is a hard one. I think I have a sense of like, I really care about who's using the thing that I'm building, which is why I'm really drawn to like, the front end of things in the first place because that's where I think a lot of people interface with like an application you're working on and it's something that I care a lot about just to be like is it clear what's the user flow I don't know much about UX besides just like things I teach myself <laughs> but I think it's really fascinating and super fun to just like work on that problem space because there's so many different roads you can take there's no like right answer um, and there's a lot of testing. There's a lot of people you can talk to to ask them how they're using stuff and then try to figure out how to solve for specific use cases. And then alongside that also is that I really like taking something like very technical and then making it understandable. Um, it's something that I never noticed I was good at. Someone actually told me that. <laughs> 
because I like, for example, recently I gave a talk about authentication and I was actually surprised because to me, because I've worked on it so much, I was like, I'm sure everyone knows this and I'm the noob who like, it's like, uh, JSON web tokens, how do they work? And I only just figured out like the different pieces and how to build one and whatever. And I gave a talk about it, expecting people to be like, yeah, I knew everything. And most people who came up to me afterwards was like, actually, I never thought about a JSON web token deeply besides just needing it to like exchange information. And so, yeah, just like, I think I underestimate this, but I have so far been able to take something that is technical and then break it down to like understandable chunks. I think I attribute that to having taught classes before to like programmers and non-programmers alike and failing and maybe being successful at some point. And just like the ebb and flow of that, I think has influenced the way I approach just learning materials. To me, it's really valuable. um, And I find a lot of joy in helping someone learn a thing because a lot of the times when I'm learning something, sometimes resources might not exist or resources would exist, but it's very confusing and like not very clear. And then I would, go through the trouble of understanding it and then I'm like let me make it better for like someone else so they don't have to read this like crazy white paper to understand how something works very good Suze I think what's already been said uh, I've resonated a lot with I think that I have the stubbornness that Keyboard talks about I usually just call it grit (laughs) grit has has had a lot of studies on it and it's been shown to to kind of like predict someone's you know success at, at general things in life which is kind of cool and then what what everything that Divya said just resonated with me. The disadvantage to going third is that sometimes people will say the things that you were going to say, but in a nice way, it reminds you that you do have different skills that you might, you know, when somebody says a skill and it resonates with you, you probably realize you have that skill. So that's kind of very humbling and nice to think about is that we all have lots of different skills. But if I was going to pick one that hasn't been mentioned yet, over the last two years, I've gotten really good at ramping up on new technical topics very quickly. And part of that for me has been a necessity of the job. I mean, when I took on a role in developer relations for Azure, when you think about Azure, it's, it's you know, a whole collection of cloud services and there's a lot of them, right? I've been, you know, thrown into situations where I've had to ramp up on a specific Azure technology or a technical concept that I wasn't, you know, well-versed in very, very quickly. And so over the last, I think, two years, because of that and because of how I sometimes stumble into things when I'm live streaming my code where I don't know what I'm doing, and I have to take a breath and read some documents and do that under pressure while, you know, 200 people are watching me. Like, I've definitely seen those two things, like being thrown in the deep end in my job and also having to, like, make mistakes and stumble in front of people on my live stream. They've made me very good at just being able to stay focused and learn something new, learn the most important parts, but then also try to get as deeply into that topic as, as possible for, you know, actually being able to understand it. And then that dovetails nicely into me being able to teach that to somebody else as well. So I think that's a really nice skill to have. You just feel so much less anxious in this industry when you're trying to keep up on top of everything. If you've sort of gotten to a point where you can ramp up very quickly. Well, if you think going third is hard, try going fourth sometime. No, just kidding. Because basically K-Ball stole mine, as I said. And I think we're seeing a theme here with regard to one particular strength which is maybe you can call it grit, maybe you can call it stubbornness. The word that I tend to think of, which I think grit's actually a better one, so I'm going to switch to that, but I've, I've used the word intrepid, which is fearlessness or adventurousness. It's a kind of the idea that you're 
you don't actually know what you're getting yourself into, and that is kind of the ignorance is bliss certain situation. But th- this is actually the skill I was, re- I was referring to on that episode of Backstage, which is if there's a challenge that's been placed on my desk, I'm just going to figure it out somehow. I know that, like, the, the confidence to do that. Maybe it's going to take 10 minutes and I'll feel good. Maybe it's going to take three days and I'll, I'll hate myself. But eventually I'm going to get there and I have confidence that that's the case. So that allows me to take on tasks that might otherwise scare me off it has been a huge strength for me. So that one, I'll just iterate it for the third time, I suppose. The other thing that I used to say, which uh, is, is kind of a joke, but is true. I tell people that my greatest strength as a developer is fear of irrelevance. And uh, the reason I say that is because this industry moves so fast. And I've always had like this feeling of in six months, I'm going to be useless. And maybe that wasn't always true. And so far, it hasn't it's proven not to be true. Maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because that fear of becoming irrelevant very quickly has led me to always stay up to date and even ahead of a lot of people in terms of techniques and trends. And I think it's probably you know, at, at a meta level led me to be, you know, where I am with changelog because of that fear. And so it's kind of turning a weakness into a strength in that regard. I'll say one more real quick before we wrap up, which is going to sound super simple. And it really is. It's just easy to say and hard to do. And it's not just for developers, but it's for career and industry in general. Here's it is. When I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And that, sh- that should be <laughs> in the chat. They're talking about soft skills as table stakes. I think table stakes is when you say you're going to do something, you should do it. And so I hold myself to that standard. Now, do I always achieve that standard? No, of course not. I fail all the time. But my goal is when my word goes out, then I follow up on my word. And that has been a huge asset to me over time because unfortunately, there's a lot of people that say they're going to do things and then they don't do them. And if you can be the person who says you're going to do something and then you follow up and you, and you do it on a reliable, uh, consistent basis, well, that's a very, very valuable thing in industry and has proven to be one of the reasons I think I've had success that I have in both as a developer and just as a business person in general is because if I say I'm going to do something, then I do it. And it's a simple equation, uh, but it pays dividends. I like that. That's really simple, but very powerful. And again, it's something that we all can do. There are times where, of course, like extenuating circumstances, you totally forgot, you feel terrible. But, you know, nine times out of 10, if you can just stick to that word and do that over a course of years, I believe that you will be successful in business because it's an incredibly, incredibly valuable thing. And like you said, Suze, it's pretty simple. You just got to actually go do it. This episode is brought to you by Manifold. Manifold is the easiest way for you to discover, buy, and manage the best developer services for your application, regardless of your cloud. Manifold is changing the way developers and cloud services work together, easily find, integrate, and share the best cloud services. And what's interesting is as you assemble your stack, you can organize your services into projects, then create and invite team members to collaborate via role-based access controls. And I love their hacker-friendly signup experience too. For example, if you're on a Mac, you can install the Manifold CLI via Homebrew, then run Manifold signup to get started. It's so easy. Learn more and discover the best cloud services for your projects at manifold.co. Again, manifold.co.
well enough boasting about ourselves. Let's get real. <laughs> and let's talk about things that are holding us back. Our greatest weaknesses. Uh, we all have them. We all know them very well, I'm sure. And uh, we're now going to focus on them for a while and share that. So I'll go first. And I will say that one of one great weakness that I have and that is a thing I admire in other people, and I haven't been able to change it, unfortunately, over the years, is that I do not think in libraries very well. I don't think in general use software. I think in very specific software. And I, I do think in abstractions, but they're always tiny little abstractions that I can reuse. And they're never general purpose abstractions that everybody can use, which is more useful software, right? If, if I write a thing for my thing and I can pull it out and it can be used by 100,000 other people, that was very valuable software. And there are, I'm sure there's times that I can do that, but either it just never crosses my mind or I think, oh, it's just too much work. I'm not going to do it. Or I feel like I'm not very good at API design for anybody but myself, which is probably true as well. Another weakness, I'm very good at designing things for me, but not for other people. Whatever it is, I stop short. And I see so many people in companies have like a product and then they pull portions out of the product and they give them to the world and the world benefits. And I love that. And it's the beauty of open source. And yet I'm not good at doing it. And I haven't been able to get good at doing it so far. But sometimes with a weakness, just recognizing it's the first step. So maybe I can start to get better at that. But it's definitely a weakness of mine. I don't think in generic library abstractions. And so I think my software suffers as a result. All right, let's go over to K-Ball. Weaknesses. All right. So my one weakness that stands out to me is I'm actually pretty darn bad at getting way down in the nitty gritty on stuff. Like I'm really good at getting software from zero to 80%. And there are some developers who are really good at polishing everything and getting everything fully tested and giving like, they know all the latest language techniques and whatever. I'm bad at that. I'm bad. I extremely common that I'll work with somebody and they'll be way more junior. And they're like, you know, there's a better way to do this. Or like <laughs> they'll, they'll be picking up the pieces down there. And, you know, it, it goes to something we'll talk about later in terms of partnering with people, because I think, you know, there are people who are really good at that. And I like to work with them because mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't have the level of deep dive detail orientation that some amazing developers do. That's a good, uh, that's a good segue for mine, actually. So I'm a very detail oriented person. We should work together. <laughs> <laughs> we should, we should. Uh, but I have these two weaknesses that really let me down in order to take advantage of that. Um, the first one is that I type slower than I think. And so, so I've, I've been really trying to improve my typing speed um, over the last, I would say I started seriously about six weeks ago and I've been practicing every day and I'm trying to change my typing style and things like that. And, and, and it's because I actually have a very bad short-term memory. And so I'm super excited about details. My brain is already sort of collecting all of them, but it cannot retain them. And if I can't type fast enough, to get them out onto, you know, into Vim or onto the, you know, the documentation that I'm writing, I lose it. And so if you watch my stream, I mean, part of this is because I'm on the spot in front of a bunch of people and I'm talking aloud, right? So my concentration is a little off, but even off stream, I do this. You'll see that if I have several Vim buffers open and I have several, several files open in my IDE, that's the equivalent, I'll basically be in one file and I'll 
you know, write a new variable or a new function name, and then it'll jump over to the other file to use that function. And I will totally forget what I just called that variable name. And so that's how bad my short-term memory is. I have a very good long-term memory where, again, like I tweeted this week that I remembered something from the Dewey Decimal System like 14 years later. <laughs> you know, I have a really great detail-oriented long-term memory. But when I know that I only need something for, you know, 30 seconds to a minute, I really, really struggle in that short-term space. And so I've been working on my typing to get faster. And then I've also been looking into how I can actually improve my memory because it is something you can work on even if you are predispositioned to be bad at it. That's a very interesting one. Okay, Divya, how about yourself? Cool. I can go off of the same topic as well. Um, for me, I'm like similar to Sue's, very detail-oriented, but then I also like get into rabbit holes very fast <laughs> because it's like the yak shaving thing where you're like, oh, I need to fix this thing. And then you're like, oh, wait, that depends on this other thing. And then you're like, oh, that depends on this other thing. And then you go down into like the source code and then you go through like node modules folders and then you're like right in what am i working on again and that actually happened like was it yesterday it might have been yesterday i was trying to figure out like an issue that i was having with like a specific tool and then i ended up not being sure how to like i didn't want to pull down like the github like repo for that specific module and then work on it and then try to like link it to the local one to see if it worked so I pretty much like went into the node modules, into the folder, into like the actual thing and then tried to make changes. And and then I was like, wait, what was I even working on? And then I have to remind myself like, wait, I think I like went too deep and what I'm working on is not worth my time. I'm just wasting time trying to fix a thing that could have been fixed in an easier way. So like I get so caught up with that. But then at the same time, I also lose track of time. When I'm like, I really need to fix this. And then I just keep hitting at it. And then I keep thinking like, oh, I need five more minutes. And then five minutes passes. And then I'm like, I need five more minutes. And then the whole day goes by. It's gone. <laughs> the day's gone. Yeah. And I was like, what did I do? I just like, ah, oh, it's so irritating. And I need this ability to just be like, no, you have 20 minutes. If you don't solve it, that's it. And then continue on to the next thing. Because otherwise you're just going to be like going in circles and not solving any. You might learn something like in a, in a couple of days, maybe weeks or months or whatever. Eventually you'll learn something and there will be like some outcome. But I don't know if that's worth the time. I love this. I, I'm thinking of all these other weaknesses I have as everyone's talking. I feel like I could go on forever. I'll add one more and then, and then we'll move on because we have uh, some good stuff coming up on ways of working around, teaming up, etc. Improving yourself. but. I don't ever take notes. It's just like the dumbest thing ever. I Even when I find answers to solutions, I'll just remember <laughs> what I Googled to find it, and I'll just Google it again the next time. And I mean, I'm 36 years old at this point. You think by now I would have learned that you should write down things once in a while. And uh, it's a weakness of mine. I just don't take notes. And it bites me like daily, daily basis. Is that just me? I don't even know how you would organize your notes. Like a lot of the times I'll be like, oh, it's a Git thing that I learn. And then it's like a JavaScript thing. And then it's this random other like dependencies. So it's just like, I think I tried at one point four or five years ago to like take notes. And it was just so haphazard. It was called like TIL. Today I learned. I was like, this is such a random doc. Blog posts. Yeah, blog posts. Writing a blog. Because, like, I mean, I still find myself, I'll Google stuff that I'm like, I know I solved this at some point, and I'll Google for it, and, like, 
it's on my blog from a year ago or two years ago or whatever. But talk about a yak shave, you know, you're, you're, you set out to solve a problem. Now you're writing a blog post, you know, that's where I'm always like, ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, I find like whenever I write a blog post, it takes me a lot longer. Like I can't just like write one and then publish. I have to, I go through the editing process a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you, when you do that thing, like that's, I do my notes in my drafts folder for my, cause I'm, I, my blog is a Jekyll site. So I've got a drafts folder, right? And it's, it's in my, I'm already in my terminal. I figured this thing out. Copy paste, dump it in my drafts folder. So most of them, many of them, I probably won't get to. I have a very large drafts folder. That sounds like a strength of yours and definitely a weakness of mine because I'm with Divya. I would take 20 minutes to figure out the answer and four hours blogging about it. And so that's a good idea. Just uh, take notes as blog post drafts. Hmm. There's a life hack for you. This episode is brought to you by Gage. Gage is a free and open source test automation tool by ThoughtWorks. The goal of the tool is to take the pain out of test automation and to help with this Gage supports specifications of Markdown, which are easy to read and easy to write, reusable specifications to simplify your code, which makes refactoring easier and less code means less time maintaining code. And finally, integrations. Use Gage with your favorite tools and your IDEs and the ecosystem of your choice. Selenium, Saihi Pro, CIC and CD tools like GoCD, Jenkins, Travis, and IDE support for Visual Studio, VS Code, IntelliJ, and more. Head to gage.org slash jsparty to learn more and give it a try. Again, gage.org slash jsparty. So we've talked about some strengths and weaknesses. Strengths are strengths. You got them. You hold on to them. Don't lose them. But weaknesses is where we can really improve, right? So if we focus in on weaknesses and ask about how we can actually get better, I liked Cable has some good advice for one particular weakness that I guess Divya and I have in the last segment. But what are some strategies and techniques that we and the listeners and the community can use to improve the weaknesses that we have? And... What are some ways that we can suggest, or maybe you've improved yourself in the past somehow, opening that up for conversation? Before I do, I actually want to challenge the premise for a second and say that contained the assumption that really we should work on our weaknesses. I'm not 100% sure that's true. You know, it may actually be more valuable to double down on improving our strengths and then find ways to compensate for our weaknesses. Like, for example, it's really easy to find developers to work with who are detail-oriented. One of my big weaknesses is that lowered level of detail orientation, but it comes with like some of my strengths are things that other developers may have challenges with. So like I've actually found it more productive for me to find folks to partner with than to work on that weakness. Plus working on your weaknesses sucks. So that, that is a a good way to, that I guess you could call it a strategy in terms of finding people who are good at the things that you're bad at. Absolutely. And it goes back to what I didn't say out loud, but I did write down. How do you route around your weaknesses or improve them over time? So I guess it opens up both questions and routing around is a great strategy. There are things that I think if you are bad at them, whether it feels shitty or not, you should get better at them and you'll be overall better at what you do. And so assuming that we do want to improve our weaknesses or maybe just uh, find that detail-oriented person and, and hope they want to work with you. I don't know, Suze, you're going to go first here. Uh, K-Ball rudely cut you off after 30 seconds of silence. So uh, hop in there, Suze. Poor K-Ball takes the stage again. 
No, I'm so glad that Cable said all that because that actually is very relevant to what I was going to say. I think that using your strengths to help attack your weaknesses is a really good thing. So for example, I'm really good at learning new things and ramping up on them. And that usually makes me excited, right? Like I'm very excited and don't feel threatened about learning new things, which is not something that I've always had in my career, but I do now. And so if it's something such as the drudgery of learning how to type faster, you know, I'm going to essentially create a framework for myself to succeed first, right? I'm going to set goals and say, I'm going to, I'm going to practice for half an hour a day, and then I'm going to observe, you know, how I improve. And then if I hit this certain goal, then I'm also going to do this nice thing to reward myself, right? So I usually set myself up with a framework. That's what makes you excited. You know, if something's drudgery, then you have to introduce other things to make it exciting. Um, And then knowing that I'm pretty good at picking new stuff up, I'm pretty good at being disciplined to do it as well. Like I try to take advantage of those strengths in order to work on my weaknesses, if that makes sense. You know, so for me, like I have been dedicating X amount of time a day to practicing my typing. um, And then I've been dedicating half an hour a day to reading about a new topic, you know, that I think would be good for me to know. And then that way I'm also improving things like, oh, I have this weakness about this one topic. So I'm going to learn about it. And if you could just find something that is exciting about the weakness that you're trying to work on, you know, even if you're just like giving yourself, you know, a cheap reward, like I'm going to go buy a donut if I, if I achieve this, then that's usually a recipe for success, at least as far as I'm concerned. So, so yeah, that's what I'm working on right now is just like creating a disciplined environment where I'm excited about the idea of actually improving as a person and improving as a developer. And that's enough for me. Love that. Love that. Use your strengths to improve your weaknesses. That's a, a great tip. So let's talk about specific, some of these are subject, not subjective, but case by case. So depending on the weakness, the strategy in order to improve it would be different. And so one of the things that we talked about that we all admire um, in a great developer is communication skills. I'm going to talk about there's different kinds of communication skills. Well, there's a lot of people, and I mean, hey, there are people who are naturally gifted communicators. Most of us aren't, right? And so a lot of this is learned, very much so. And so how, what are some tips that you all have? You guys are great communicators. I'll just go ahead and say it. That got you where you are today. Like, What are some ways that people who aren't great communicators can go about improving that skill because it crosses the chasm? Industry, personal life, right? Software development especially have to be able to communicate well to be effective. So if you aren't a great communicator, What are some things you can do? I'm a huge advocate of Toastmasters. For those who are not familiar, Toastmasters is a chapter-based nonprofit organization that is focused on helping people develop communication and leadership skills. And basically, you know, it's a set of small clubs. And, you know, if you Google for Toastmasters in your neighborhood or your location, if you're in a city, you'll probably see dozens nearby. Um, And it's literally practice. It's just a, a... controlled safe environment for practicing speaking and they have both a set of curriculum to practice prepared talks um, and prepared speeches Um, but they've also got stuff for working on your impromptu speaking skills they have stuff for working on your feedback skills Um, there's a whole slew of things around it and i was a member of a toastmasters club for about six years i saw people coming in where like the first time they had to stand up in front of people and try to speak they couldn't they turned red and they just could not get a single word out going through to the point where they could get up in front of people and give a prepared speech for five to seven minutes. 
and just do it. And, you know, it's got a bunch of different stuff in it. Um, there's lots of different ways. You're, because it's chapter-based, your experience is going to vary a lot by club. So if you go out and check out, you know, if, you, if you're interested in doing it, check out several clubs in your neighborhood to see which one feels good to you and feels supportive and feels like an environment that you want to be in. Uh, but if you want to work on your spoken communication skills, like it is an incredible resource. And it's like super, you can go as a guest as many times as you want. And a membership is like 40 bucks a year or something. So it's super affordable. And if you, if that's a hardship, like a lot of times they'll have sponsorships available. Like we had a, we had a guy come in who was literally homeless and it was attending our club. And it was amazing because he was, he was homeless. He was a product of the foster system. He had all sorts of challenges. And like over the course of working with this Toastmasters club for about a year and a half, like he, his communication skills improved dramatically. He got a job. He got all sorts of other stuff out of like being able to be in an environment where he could just practice. How do I interact with other people on a regular basis? It was, yeah, highly, highly, highly recommend. That's great advice. I had never even considered that. And I have other people who've had success in Toastmasters. So I didn't even think of it, but that's, that's a great, especially just a way of getting ramped up, you know, without all the pressure live on stage with hundreds of people staring at you. Divya, do you have any advice on, on communication skills? Yeah, I think it's interesting because there's different forms of communication. So like speaking and like public speaking is one aspect of communication, which is really valuable in tech. Um, and then there's also the other aspect, which is more just in general when you're on a team, which is oftentimes you have to deal with conflict and conflict resolution. And that's something that is really hard. And I don't think is talked about a lot because it's just assumed that you'll figure it out like oh your manager will figure it out and um there's a lot of like i've been interested in this because i've been in in on teams where sometimes there's a disagreement and usually there's oftentimes on a team there's someone with a very strong voice and then that person overpowers the conversation and so in general i've there's a lot of books on like conflict resolution and just being able to diffuse so I think I think it's called like difficult conversations or something, which is it, it's it's kind of broad because it goes into not just professional communication, but also just like personal relationships, friendships, like partners and whatever significant others, which is useful because, I mean, you obviously have to have those conversations outside of your professional life. I think being able to have those skills to understand how to communicate is really effective. Um, and of course, like specifically, that, that happens a lot like within a team, but sometimes you would have to do conflict management and re resolution. If you've ever been on support or been on call, you sometimes have to deal with issues where customers are angry. And that's really hard because like your knee-jerk reaction is to be like, no, you didn't read the docs. We, we were so clear, like you're an idiot kind of thing, which like which is not the best way to represent <laughs> your product. Um, and so just being able to have the tools and techniques to do that. And generally, like, my rule of thumb in whenever I have to deal with, like, a support thing or someone who's really angry is to not respond immediately, <laughs> which is, like, something I want to do and is probably expected, but I, I take a moment to just be like, okay, deal with my own emotions <laughs> and knee-jerk reaction and then and then get back to it and be like, okay, let me try to figure out how to approach this. And sometimes I'll even have my responses vetted by someone else. So I'll be like, hey, I wrote this this thing, response, can you read it over and see if it makes sense? Because, like, I don't know. 
because um, sometimes your ego can come through like hey this was hard for you but guess what it's hard for me too <laughs> um, which like I've actually written before <laughs> yeah like I, I took a lot of time on this specific thing and I was just like ah oh, I'm annoyed because it's not just you it's also me but yeah like taking a step back taking a breather and then responding and also knowing that oftentimes in conflict it's like not about you try to focus on the issue at hand which is very hard, that separation. Yeah, that takes practice for sure. Yeah, that's very insightful. Thank you. I'll say one more tip while we're talking about communication, this specifically around written uh, communication, is there's nothing wrong with emulation until you can find your own voice. And so if you feel like you are bad, or maybe you are bad, and so you appropriately feel like you are bad at writing down your thoughts and having somebody else read them and interpret them the way that you wanted them to and have the desired output, right? If you are bad at that or you wish you could be better, there's nothing wrong with just finding people who are good at that. And it's very easy. Like if you read, you'll find people who you read and you're like, I like their writing. I like to read this writing. And you just emulate them. You know, don't plagiarize, obviously, but think about what it is about the way that this person writes that is compelling or effective in your eyes. And then you just start to adopt those patterns and principles in your own writing. And eventually, you will find your own voice through that. Like you can work your way until you get the skills up that you will then shed those and find your own voice. But in the meantime, there's nothing wrong with finding good examples and emulating them. So that's one tactic for improving your communication pretty quickly through simple emulation. I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I had one more recommendation. <laughs> so I, I was blanking on the topic, but there's a book that I've been like kind of referencing from time to time called Thank You for Arguing. And it's about the art of persuasion. So it's not about like winning an argument. It's just how to navigate an argument because a lot of the times that's <laughs> hard. And a lot, a lot of the times it's just like anger versus anger rather than like the actual point that you're trying to make. And I think it's a really cool book just to analyze like how exactly arguments are ha like effective arguments can be had. And I, I reference it again because I'm just like, oh, sometimes when I have an argument and it did not end well, I'll be like, what did I do? <laughs> and then I'll look at this book and I'll be like, oh, OK, maybe I could have done this better or that. It's kind of just a reference point. You don't have to read it cover to cover. It's kind of like every chapter has morsels of information. But it's really useful to understand the art of an, a good argument, which also bleeds into like general outside of programming, because I think this is just a general criticism. But I think as a society, we just have the have have basically gone backwards in terms of the ability to argue. We just are unable to do that. We automatically shut down. And I think that is horrible. <laughs> Because, like, then there's no discourse. We can't, like, the moment someone disagrees with you, the conversation is over. And the fact is that we can disagree and be okay with each other. If you disagree, you're on this other side of this, whatever the topic is. And we're very divided because of that. And it's like, we can disagree and still get along. And that's part of life and a, and a valuable part of life is engaged disagreement. Uh, I do have one more topic I want to get into in terms of the advice, specifically around the empathy side. Speaking of empathy, Seuss, Divya talked about a great skill is empathy, aka caring about others and the user experience and like the person who's using your software. So what if you're really bad at that? Do you have any advice on ways that you can get, because that's hard to improve 
I think. But do you have any advice on that? Yeah, for me, the most powerful thing that helps people who are really struggling with it is you're just never going to be able to get outside of your own experience or your head unless you actually go out and either observe people having the problems that you're having trouble empathizing with or just asking people questions about it, right? And I've seen this a lot where, you know, I I led an accessibility effort at a job once and I just couldn't get people to consider experiences outside of their own Obviously, there's like a lot of work that is required in order to learn accessibility topics if you don't know them. And so obviously, there's like pushback because of that reason, too. And what we ended up doing was we brought someone in to the company and they used our website and they used the tools that they need to use the website. And that was the fundamental turning point for people. They just needed to see it. They needed to feel someone using something that they made personally. So if your code is the the piece of code that's responsible for a bad experience or something and you visually, viscerally, cringeworthy, you know, feel it. Having people cringe like that, that's when you realize, you know, unfortunately, sometimes people only empathize once they've been through it or once they've had a relative or someone they care about that goes through it. That's just not good enough. It's not something you can rely on. And it's, it's kind of not really that nice, you know what I mean? To like wait until it actually affects you. You really have to make that effort to go out there and and watch people struggle to use the things or watch a junior or like be thrown in the deep end and have someone explain something really badly to you. And you feel that frustration, which makes you want to be better at explaining things to junior developers or people who are new to a topic that you're really good at. Like you really should try and at least try to be a little bit uncomfortable at times in order to really be able to bridge that gap that you're struggling with. I love that. Yeah, within the context of developers, I cannot recommend highly enough watching somebody who has never used your code use your code. Especially on the web, it's really easy, right? Like go to a freaking store or like cafe or something and have your laptop, have your website open and say, hey, you know, can I ask you, just go to a random person, can I ask you to play around with this a little bit? Like it is striking how many people will say yes and you watch them and your mind will be blown. Because people do not use your tools the way that you use your tools. And it may be more difficult if you're using something that's less consumer focused or whatever, but sit in on a design user study or whatever. People do not see your software the same way you do. And it will just, it's incredibly humbling because no matter how good of a job you've done, they will get confused about something, especially if you haven't been already doing this a lot. Um, And a lot of times they'll get confused about everything and they will have no idea what's going on with your software and it's a mind opening and stretching experience and very painful but worth doing love that advice well let's turn that advice inward a little bit as we wrap up we have no idea what you all think of our podcasts unless we listen to you listen to them no we can't do that but what we can do is solicit your feedback let us know what you think of our shows uh, specifically the show every show now on channel.com does have its own discussion page where you can talk to the panelists, you can share your strengths and weaknesses, you can share the show's strengths and weaknesses, tell us what we're doing well, tell us what we really could improve at. We'd love to hear from you. We want this to be a show for and by the community of JavaScript and web people. And so that's what we're striving for. And you can help us by letting us know what you think. So that's our show today. Uh, Divya, K-Ball, any final words before we call the show? Know yourself. Because you know we've spent a bunch of introspection here, but I think it is really important to pay attention to this in yourself. And I think one thing we didn't really talk about here, but it kind of came up tangentially, is know what gets you excited. Because 
whether or not something is your strength or your weakness, like you're going to be able to learn and power through and do whatever by getting excited about it. You know, Sue's talked about, you know, being really excited about learning. I have the same thing. Like I can do something that is the most boring, detail oriented, right in my weaknesses, all these other things. If it's new to me and I'm learning something to it, it'll be fun because that's what gets me excited. That's not what gets everybody excited. Know yourself, know how you react to these things and use that to help guide your your investment in your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, definitely. I I completely agree 100%. Just like, I think enthusiasm goes a long way. And so something that started as your weakness, if you're very enthusiastic, it can turn into a strength, like if you power through. Love it, love it. Know yourself. Very good. Well, thanks you too. Thanks to Suze, who is now on her way to the airport. Thanks for you for listening. That's our show this week. We'll see y'all next time. All right. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. We just have a podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLaw because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLaw. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLaw.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.